0: As you take your seat, also take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter two. Just be three verses that we're covering this morning. We're actually gonna have them displayed up on the screen here in a moment if they're already there, and they are. Thank you, Jeremy. All right. Wonderful to see y'all this morning, especially some faces I haven't seen in a while. Good to have you all back worshiping with us, good to see Stephen back here, been, been a few weeks, and we're going to send him on another vacation for a while, <laughs> alright, well hopefully you're there and your Bibles with me, we're going to be covering three verses this morning and that will be in First John chapter 2 verses 12 through 15, thro- I'm sorry, 12 through 14, And you have overcome the evil one. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, thank you for your word to us. And as we look to this and evaluate our lives against it, God, may it change us. May it mold us and shape us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. That we have a way to come to you, Lord through Christ's shed blood, and help us to never take that for granted, to always be grateful, and to always be mindful of it. And I just pray that you help us by your Holy Spirit to understand this teaching to us this morning, that you would guard me from saying anything that might lead someone in error. God, if there's anything here that I shouldn't say, that you would just strike that from my notes, and that only the things that you desire for us to know and understand of you would uh, just take root and be firmly embedded in our hearts and that we can grow and that we can be nourished by it and we can grow from maybe from children to a young men, or maybe we're at the young men phase and we need more maturity to be called fathers Lord as we look at these levels of spiritual maturity uh, may we just check ourselves against it see where we are Lord and know that there's always room for us to grow more in you and we thank you for just the sanctification that you work in each and every one of us by your spirit. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we weren't here last Sunday, but that doesn't mean I didn't get an opportunity to listen to the message, thanks to all the available media to us, Spotify, Facebook, those kinds of things, I had an opportunity to listen, both to Ray's message for the children and then also to Wes's uh, message from 1 John chapter 2, kind of getting us into these verses this morning. I just want to go back and remind ourselves of a couple of things that Wes taught to us last week um, Going from his last teaching, we learned that there's no middle ground right? when it comes to good and evil or darkness and light. And Don makes these very stark comparisons for us. Um, those two things cannot cohabitate with one another. There's, there's no blending of good and evil. There's no blending of darkness and light. And even if you are the one who sits on the fence between both of them, Remember, is that analogy that that Wes brought to you, that the fence still belongs to the enemy. It's still Satan's fence. You're either in the darkness, you're in the light. You're either in one or the other. You're either obeying God and walking in His truth, or you're not. And it's like the game of opposites. Did you ever play that in school? Maybe you still play it with your children where you throw out a word and then they have to throw out another word to you that's its exact opposite. You know, if I say darkness, then your response is probably going to be light, especially being that we're in the context of the study of 1 John. And so if I say something like love, then your opposite would be to tell me hate. Right? And even though John doesn't come out and say uh, hate exactly, we know that darkness here equates to hate. And the one who thinks he is in the light yet hates his brother— this is what you studied last week, is really the one who is lost, and they're groping around in the darkness. And I used to work at Carlsbad Caverns National Park, and we would take these tours through the the cave, and I would lead these visitors through there, and then we'd have them all sit down, we'd turn off the lights, there was absolutely no light whatsoever, and it was complete darkness. And if we were to get up and to try to walk around in that darkness, Then it's most likely we're going to bump our head into things and we're probably going to fall and even fall to our deaths. And it gives a very, very stark imagery there that we can really latch on to. We are given these contrasts that are very vivid so that even a child can understand it. Wes brought that out last week so that there's not any excuse for us to not understand this. We have no excuses. And as Wes challenged us to ask ourselves last week, are our actions demonstrating that we are obedient to God and His Word, or are our actions stating otherwise? And I'd like for us to continue to kind of ponder that question as we move into this next set of verses that we just read. Um, you could say here that we've been given the acid test, so to speak, by John um, before proceeding into this focus passage today. And I don't know if you're familiar with what an acid test is. I think this came up more or less in the 1800s when they were going out searching for gold. And there was a type of ore that was called fool's gold. It wasn't actual gold. And so in order to determine whether or not it was actual gold, they would drop some hydrochloric acid on there and the hydrochloric acid would react to the type of rock that wasn't pure gold and so it would bubble up and it would expose that rock for what it truly was, whether it would be uh, true gold and found to be pure or whether it was just stuff that was mixed in with other things and it wasn't even gold at all, in fact it was fool's gold. And so John has, in a sense, uh, taken us through this acid test... To continue with that after these verses this morning, but it's almost like he's taken a little bit of an aside here with us, maybe a pause, just to reassure those who are reading this letter, those that are Christians and really starting to question and doubt, um, that there is some assurances here that we can look to. And we also have, for our benefit, um, a way maybe to gauge where we are in our Christian walk, where we are in our level of spiritual maturity. And that's the way I've always viewed this section, as spiritual levels of maturity. And you might argue that with me, and we can talk about this uh, later on, but it, it would just seem that we have obvious levels of maturity here. Uh, we know and understand this, just like darkness and light, and John uses that to illustrate to us you know, where, where we really find ourselves. Um, are we of God do we have salvation in Christ or are we apart from him and then as we look at these levels of maturity we can kind of understand the way he's using this in a physical sense we are part of families you know we know what an infant what it is to be an infant what it is to raise infants we know what it is to be an adolescent or a young adult and we know what it is to be uh, more fully mature and we probably have those all represented within our own families and also within this church and I'm not going to look out here and try to rank every one of you uh, because then I would have to do that with myself. So we won't go there, but we're just going to let the scripture check us on this. And if Jeremy would just pull up that next slide, I I did something here that I hope might help. It helped me uh, just kind of putting this table together. And so you can refer to it if you like, but also this is just something that I, I pulled together in putting these verses more in parallel with one another. So everything that's Regarding children in these verses, I've put into the boxes in the row for children and everything that has to do with the young men, I've put in its own category and and row, and then those things that are of fathers, I've uh, put in its own row, and I've highlighted some text there in red, or color-coded, I guess you should say, and the reason that I did that is just, I think those give evidence to us that it is showing That These passages are written to those who are true believers, no matter where they find themselves in the spiritual maturity. If you look at that with me, you can see that even of the children, notice the sins are forgiven. I mean, that would be someone who is saved. Um, All right, and then if you go across, you have those who know the Father we're going to talk about a little bit more about the greek word for what know is if you go to the young men notice they have overcome overcome the enemy and that to me speaks of one who is a true believer and then the second part of that when they address the young or when john addresses the young men again they're strong the word of god is in them again they have overcome and then of the fathers it is you know him and, and it's just repeated twice here, almost like John just kind of ratchets it down uh, for us and, and is repetitive because he wants this to really get into our minds. He wants us to be saturated by this because it is, I believe, John giving us some assurance. It's like, I have said these things, and here you, you can know that you are. Maybe you may be at a different level of maturity in your Christian walk, but know that you are saved, you're walking in the light, If you are doing these things, if you are obeying, and even if you are uh, not living your life perfectly, which none of us can, uh, you can know that you are a true believer if you have put your faith in Christ and you have repented of your sin. Uh, But just want to um, advise you or give you some counsel here as we often do from this pulpit, and that is to be Bereans and going to the source of truth, which is our Bible's and we want to ask God to teach us through his Holy Spirit and pray that we are seeing ourselves in a continual state of growth, no matter where we are, that we're always advancing more in our Christian walk, and that we desire to know more of God and seek to understand his word and to grow in his grace and love towards one another in Christ Jesus. So let's look at the first one, which is children. That's the, the audience of children is what I call it in this letter, and he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven his, for his name's sake. That's verse 12. Now, you wouldn't think by looking at this, and I never did as well until I really started to pull it apart and study it, is John's use of little children here is actually referring to believers in general. And the reason that we know this is there are two different Greek words for the word children in its use here in verse 12 compared to its use in the second um, address of this, which is in verse 13. So let's look at the Greek word, because there is some more information behind this if we are to try to understand what John is referring to when he's addressing the audience's little children. The Greek word is technia, and it means born ones. Technia, born ones. And so it is more generally referring to offspring and has less to do with someone's physical age or maturity, uh, you could say that it's more a status or position type of word. And often in the New Testament, believers are referred to as children of God. And the word used is technia, when that appears. If you want to turn um, to First uh, John, just look at it, chapter 2, you just have to go back a little bit. I don't know why I close my Bible, all of a sudden I'm... Got to get back to it with you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, Greek word used technia there, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Oh, he's targeting believers with this word technia, little children, believers in general. Um, if you continue into verse 28, I believe, of chapter 2, he says, And now, little children, again, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from from him in shame at his coming. Um, Just to get us out of 1 John for a second to see where this word is used elsewhere, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4 and look at verse 19. And we see Paul also using this word technia and translated as little children here. Chapter 4 verse 19 of Galatians. He says, "My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you." There's a lot of admonishment um, and rebuke in the book of Galatians, and for reasons that uh, are are very well founded, because they are sinking into doctrinal error. And then again, we have in verse 28 of chapter four of Galatians. Paul says, now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. There, that Greek word, um, technia, again, Uh, not using little here in front of children, but still the same use of that Greek word. So it is, or we can derive from other places in Scripture where this occurs, is that John is writing to believers in general, and this is the reality of our being born ones, as that's translated Uh, born ones of God, and that having been born of God, that our sins have been forgiven. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Because you cannot be a child of God unless your sins have been forgiven. And that's very clear in the scriptures. We must have our sins forgiven in order to be saved. It's part of salvation. And one of the things I wonder to myself, and something that, Maybe I don't think about often enough whenever I come across this phrase of our sins being forgiven in the Bible. How often do I pass over it and not just have my heart moved with gratitude towards what that cost, our Lord and Savior, that our sins have been forgiven because our sinful flesh nature had separated us from a holy God. And our sins were an offense to him, and yet he has accorded to us the salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, whereby we have the forgiveness of our sins, of all of our sins. And it came at a great cost. It's not something that we do say it is a free gift because that is what grace is. We don't earn it. But it came at a great cost to our Lord and Savior that God would send his only son to die on your behalf so that you could have your sins forgiven, that God would make him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I think that's 1 Corinthians like four, seventeen, somewhere around. First Corinthians 4, sorry I didn't have that one referenced in here, but it's one that comes to mind when I think about how, what it cost Jesus Christ to take and bear our sins to the cross and die for them. And John the Baptist said uh, of Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what it is to be forgiven, to have our sins removed from us, to have our sins taken away. And John said Jesus was the Lamb of God who does that for us. He is the sufficient one. He is the only one able to save us, save us to the uttermost so that our sins might be completely forgiven. And that word it's that forgiven is is that they are taken away they were removed from you and they were put on the shoulders of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and he suffered and he died for them so that you wouldn't have to carry those sins into eternity and stand before a holy God and hear him say depart from me you are accepted because as his little children, your sins have been forgiven by Christ's shed blood. And if you have truly put your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the, for- on the cross as a forgiveness of your sins and have confessed and repented of that sin, then you are a child of God and we can have that assurance. We can stand in this category of technios, his little children, having had our sins forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then John goes further, he adds on for his name's sake, the forgiveness of our sins for his name's sake. And that is to say that our salvation is not for Owen's sake, it's not for Ray's sake, it's not for Wes, it's, it's for his name's sake. It is to his glory and his glory alone. In Ephesians 2 8 through 9, we. I think probably have most of this committed to memory because we repeat it so often here, but it is for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And it's, a, it's the gift of God, it is for his glory, it's for his name's sake. He's the one that gave it. And verse 9 says, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For his name's sake is to say that one's being a child of God is to God's credit, it's to God's glory. And the fact that we are children of God is because of what he has done for us. I think I referenced this passage of scripture uh, Sunday before last in my teaching, but it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses 12 through 13. And he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, right? God gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. If we were born of any of those other things, then we might have reason to give credit to, to man somehow, but we can't. This is all of God, and so it is for His sake, and it is to His glory, that we have the forgiveness of our sins. And the way I see this little children here, I think, is referring to status of, of Christians, regardless of their maturity level in salvation, uh, whether child phase, young man phase, or the father phase, that we'll be talking about here in a moment. This first verse, I believe, is referring to all Christians in general. These little We are all little children. Our sins have been forgiven. Uh, this is the technia use of that word. And then we'll look at the other one here in just a moment. And I'm going to call that the C part of verse 13. Looking back at our chart here, children, it would be in the second row And that would be the last row, if you want to go to that column and go up. There we go. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So here is the use of the word children again, but it is a different Greek word. Again, looking behind this word and what it means. And this is the one where I think it is talking about the level of maturity, because the word here used is called paedia. And it's different from little children. We learned that was technia, right? This is a totally different word. Um, technica, Technia refers to children of God, but this Greek word, paedia, means young children. Young in terms of like their, their stage of age, their infancy. And this is to those that are still there in that just having come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. These are the ones that need more care And guidance. I mean, you think of this and you relate it to your personal experience. We are going to have to feed and nourish and change diapers and do all those things for our infants that we have to take care of them. And this is kind of where we are as we first come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Having realized our sins have been forgiven and what bought us our salvation, and it kind of starts at that level, and then we begin to grow from there. We shouldn't be hanging out at this level for long periods of time. Uh, I can't tell you and give you a time frame of how long you need to be an infant, or, or some, for some people, they grow like rockets after they, they are saved, and they move on to these other phases very quickly, um, but I, I think Zacchaeus, uh, you may remember him, you may remember the the Bible school song, you know, Zacchaeus, you come down from there from, there, for I'm going to your house today. But look at Luke chapter 19, verses 5 through 6, as we see kind of this uh, budding faith in the life of Zacchaeus and, and kind of what it looked like. I mean, this, the infancy stage of salvation. Luke chapter 19, I'm just going to read verses 5 through 6. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Just that heart of joy, you know, knowing that his Lord had called him down and was coming to, to be with him, was coming to dwell in his house and stay with him for a while and how awesome that experience of that initial uh, moment of faith was for Zacchaeus here. And we see sort of the response in the infancy stage. However, when we first come to faith in Christ, just like infants, we need to take in nourishment. We need to seek in nourishment in order for us to grow. And that is why we need to find good sound, solid, biblical doctrine to latch on to. It's why we must continue to stay faithful, to go to God in His Word and go to Him as prayer, in prayer. And there is more of a lack of discernment in an infant, um, and the temptation to fall in, back into old habits is still there and more susceptible to it. Paul, I think, would speak of these dangers uh, in our childlike phase in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. in Ephesians 4:14 4, So this is right after Paul has talked about the various roles in the church, you know, that the saints or the te- or I'm sorry the the evangelists and the uh, shepherds are supposed to teach, they're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and then Verse 14, he says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We can't stay there in our infancy for very long without having to be, you know, continually fed by the word of God. And once we begin to be nourished, then we begin to grow and we're not as susceptible to a lack of discernment or just being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every teaching that's out there that someone might try to trap you with. And this is one of the dangers of of being in that infancy stage and why we need to really take seriously our Christian growth. And I also believe as mature believers, that we need to take that responsibility seriously as well to mature the young, to mature the young in faith, teaching younger Christians how to grow in their Christian walk. The challenge of the New Testament church was getting the truth to the infant Christians before these false doctrines began to saturate their minds. We benefit from the writing of these, these scriptures and these letters to counter that false doctrine and to refute it and that's the reason for much of the writing of the New Testament is Paul and John and Peter and James and many of those were writing to tell them this is what truth is. This is what you need to hold to. This is what you need to grow in. And looking at uh, 2 John, which will be a letter we'll go into after we get out of First John, in verses 10 through 11, there's a strong warning there. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the uh, Solid doctrinal teaching of Jesus Christ and who, how he's represented in the Bible. He says, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, this is a warning to all of us regarding, regardless of maturity level, but particularly children, we might be more prone to say, hey, maybe this person, I need to hear him out. I need to invite them in. Promoters of false teaching are out there that are teaching doctrine contrary to true biblical instruction. (laughs) Excuse me, we were in Artesia last week. We were on our way up to the Sacramentos to go hunting. And there on the street corner was um, some Jehovah's Witness, and they had their brochures out there. And they were trying to get people walking by to come and talk to them and strike up a conversation with them. And we were getting coffee, and we are continuing on our way. Um, But they will typically leave you alone if they suspect that you have a good foundational knowledge of Scripture, because they know they are not really following biblical teaching, but the teaching of their leaders who profess a special knowledge outside of Scripture and really be careful of those who would come and say, well, I've got something more for you than what Scripture would tell you, and there's a lot of danger in that, so we need to be wary. So as babes in Christ, uh, be sure to immerse yourself in the Word of God and ask for the Holy Spirit to help you in your understanding and surround yourself with good Christian brothers and sisters in Christ who are grounded in solid biblical teaching. And that's just my advice from my notes and not necessarily from Scripture, but I think Scripture would support that kind of advice, is that we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God first and foremost. So, just one side note. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Would you mind grabbing me some water? Okay. Some... Some will remain in this phase longer than they should, may never get out of this phase. If you claim to be a Christian of 20 years and you are still not, and if you are still at this level and have no desire to grow, then you may want to go back to the acid test and reread up to this point, point. and that, that's just my only advice right there. Now, next up are those who are called young men, and the progression of spiritual growth should be from children to young men and, or women who go from that initial knowledge of the Lord through his salvation and that resulting joy that we saw in, in Zacchaeus just a moment ago and move on to the advancing in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his word and being concerned with the clarity of doctrine. He'll be sure not are learning the truth that as we are going out and advancing the kingdom of God that we're telling the truth. Once we are saved, it doesn't mean that God is done with us and then he moves on to the next person. That's just like, okay, I've sealed them and I'm going on and I'm going to this person, but there is a work that is continually going on in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit who indwells the life of a believer is doing this work of sanctification in the life of the one who has put their faith in Christ and repented of their sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12-14 through 14 with me. A little tickle in my throat, I couldn't get rid of. (laughs) Hebrews 10, um, verses 12 through 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For this is the will of God, your sanctification... That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. will stop there. Two times the word sanctification is brought out there, and it's, it is always a continuance of it. It's not have been sanctified, and it's a once and for all. It's a being sanctified. It's a progression. It's what many would call a progressive sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you're continuing to grow and in, in being nourished and being purified. And part of that is abstaining from sexual immorality, the things that could harm us um, in, a, in a spiritual sense, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, so it's striving towards holiness, striving to be more Christ-like, and that should be the work of the sanctification of the Spirit within you. John says of these young men that he's writing to, and we can include women here as well because we're looking at more maturity phases, is that they have overcome the evil one. There's been some testing of the faith that has been encountered in their walk, and they have stood their ground. Uh, We... When we become believers, and I try to tell those that are very um, new in their walk with Christ, is that there are going to be times of testing in your life. You're going to have those temptations thrown back at you, and probably even more so now that the enemy wants to, you know, try to... To defeat you. He wants to try to overcome you and, and cause you to come back into those sins that you once walked in. And so it's going to be a struggle and a battle, which is why we need to stay rooted in Christ and in His Word and overcome, overcome those things. And we can over-overcome something if we are going through a trial. We have to be, have our faith tested, and these are those who have had that faith tested, and they have overcome the armor of God that is discussed in Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul writes there, the, the full armor of God that we take up. This is something that the, the one at this level knows more than just having read it and said, okay, I know there's an armor of God, this is the one who's probably taking it on. And the one who Paul says, stand firm then in this, this truth and stand firm and put on the full armor of God. They are standing firm and that is how they are overcoming the enemy in their lives. They are the ones standing strong in their faith. And the young men are commended by John as having the word of God abiding in them the Word of God abiding in them. They, they are strong. They have been studying their Word. They are ingesting this knowledge. It is taking root within them. They are able to defend their faith, and they overcome the evil one again. And if you're not taking your time and your Word to develop and grow in biblical wisdom, then you're probably not at this level. With biblical wisdom and the application of that, because that's what wisdom is, it's the application of the knowledge. If we aren't applying the biblical wisdom in our Christian growth then we could never really expect to have victory in the battle with the enemy. Paul would say this in Ephesians 4:13 4, through 14. <clears throat> we were just there a while ago, but there's a little bit more that I wanted to read to that Ephesians chapter 4 verses 13 through 14. He says until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to what mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's what we just read. Um, I throw in another verse here from 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There should be a pattern of continual Christian growth in their walk. Just because they are not new to the faith and are growing in knowledge doesn't mean that they are not susceptible to error and to stumbling, though. I mean, that's true for all of us. I don't want you to think that you've arrived at any of these levels and me to teach you that once you're there, you're just good to go. <laughs> that, that is not the case. There, there's no perfection in our, our Christian walk, as John has previously stated, there are going to be times where we sin, but how quickly are we correcting ourselves and confessing and, and putting ourselves back and immersing ourselves in God's Word? And also, it shouldn't be assumed that a robust knowledge of Scripture is a sign of Christian maturity. There are some who can quote you long passages of Scripture, but still be immature in their faith and not, or maybe not even be a Christian at all. So don't be deceived by that. You must be seeing something that's a pattern in their, in their life. You must be seeing something yourself is it marked by Christian maturity in the way you live out your life. I listened to the message on these verses given by a good biblical scholar I respect, and his way of categorizing these levels was this way. He described the first maturity level, that of, of children, as being the infancy. And then he talks about the young man level being that of the infantry stage, those who are going to battle, now ready to go to battle, they're taking on the armor, and he describes the last level as the fathers being the intimacy stage. So if going from infancy, infantry, to intimacy, which I thought was kind of An interesting way to categorize it. Not scripture, this is just his way of kind of keeping these things straight. So the next level of spiritual maturity is that of the fathers. So if you want to look at that with me now, those of the fathers. All right, we see there, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. That's chapter two, verse 13. And then just move over. The second part of that is I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Um, just pretty much repeated word for word uh, when it addresses the fathers. So both times John states that the fathers know him. And this gets at the more deeper, intimate knowing that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in that Greek word, gnoska, or gnosko, I think I've heard it also. I think that there, there's genders to that word. And this is a mutual kind of knowing and More often when it appears, this use of the word gnoska, it is the intimacy of a man and and woman in a husband-wife relationship. So you know there's a very deeper knowing that is involved with that. John being in his 90s, you know, when writing this has probably been at this level longer than anyone to whom he is writing. And all he can really say to them is like, you know him. You know him like I do. Fathers, you know if I'm talking to you, you know him this way. (laughs) And there is such a familiarity, and this is not a casual sense kind of familiarity where, you know, John or we would just walk up to God and think that we could put our arm around him and punch him in the shoulder and say, hey, buddy, hey, pal. It's not that kind of um, disrespectful kind of knowing when we think of a holy God, but this is that, again, coming back. I don't know another word to use, but just that intimate kind of knowing God the Father. That there is, uh, that you have grown so much in the knowledge of Him that there is a deeper knowing that is not as pronounced in the young man phase and definitely not in the childlike phase. Um, It is a relationship that is fuller and richer because it is being nourished by the Word of God. There is a description of what I think the Father mentioned here looks like and that is found in Psalm chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me, Psalm 1. I guess you could probably call it even the young men as well, but the, the father phase, I think, has been here for a long time, planted by these streams of water that we're about to read about. Psalm 1. And it says there, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So saturated and informed by Scripture, um, they are what, what you would call biblically wise. And it can be men, it can be women, when speaking in terms of these maturity levels. Using uh, Solomon, the Holy Spirit wrote the book of wisdom. We call it the book of wisdom. We know it as Proverbs. And that is instruction that Solomon was giving to his young son. And Solomon was a spiritual father, you could say. And if you are at this level, you are probably wanting to pour. Wisdom and knowledge into others. Just as Solomon was writing proverbs for his, his young sons or, or speaking to young men and some of the challenges that we, they would face and the importance of staying and remaining in wisdom, um, this would be a father always wanting to infuse and teach biblical knowledge to those that are at these other levels. And even challenging other mature Christians with the scriptures, being like that iron that sharpens iron. And if you're at this level, you're likely wanting to teach and pass along that knowledge. And one of the other things that John adds to the end of each statement about this maturity level, that of being fathers, he says, you know him who is from the beginning, who is from the beginning. And I think that is being referred to here is that to know him who is from the beginning, it is speaking of God's eternality, that he is sovereign and that your trust is anchored in that. That you know His faithfulness, that's presented all throughout Scripture. That you can lean on it fully. That you can always trust in Him. Your your faith is not easily shaken. We want to grow more in our knowledge of who God is and understanding His nature, understanding His attributes, and then use that to shape the way that we view the world around us. I think that is foundational. We often go to the Scriptures and immediately begin the application part to how this is going to fit into my circumstance that I'm going through right now and how can I use the Bible to fix that circumstance. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but going to the Scriptures, how often do we go to it to say, God, show me more of who you are. And I think that is foundational to our Christian walk and to how we can cope in this world with the chaos that goes on around us and the challenges that we are faced with daily. And if you don't have a good understanding of God as He's described in His Word, then this world can really ruin you and it can ruin you quickly. I see it happening all around. You can easily get all out of sorts and shrink back and just want to throw your hands up in defeat if you really don't have a high view of God and His sovereignty. You can just say, okay, well, I'm done with it. You know, thinking maybe that God's up there worried about the, the world and what's going to, what it's coming to and that He's spreading about it. That is not our God. Our God is sovereign and He knows exactly what is taking place now and what will take place. But we want to be those that are always desiring to level up in our Christian growth. One who is at the Father level of maturity is not perfect if they are here, and they will not say that they are. And if they do say that they're perfect, then they're probably not at that level. (laughs) They're going to have humility. But all of us should recognize that our measuring mark, our standard, is Christ. And looking at this table here, in the overall picture of it, if you wanted to pull it back up there for me, we'll do that here in just a moment. I think I listed there, we have the children, and we have the young men, and then we have the father's. And you could actually reverse that, like put the fathers on top, the young men, and then the children. And you remember, uh, some of you may have done this, and maybe still at your house, you have markings on the wall where you were measuring the level of which your your children were growing, and then each mark, they would get taller, and they would get taller in a physical way. And this is the way that we should be in our Christian growth. Do you still have those marks on your wall? Oh, the mother? Okay. (laughs) Okay. We just put a piece of paper up there. <laughs> but it is, it is Christ, that is the standard to which we want to attain. <laughs> we can look to the words of one of the greatest spiritual fathers that we have in, in, in the Bible. I mean, outside of, of God, our Father, and Jesus Christ. Um, but Paul has some wisdom for us that I'm going to close with today, and that's found in Philippi- Philippians chapter 3, verses 13-16. through 16. brothers I do not consider that I have made it my own but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus who was Paul's standard (laughs) it was Christ Jesus He says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And you see, the important thing is that we are striving in his word, and that we are striving in prayer, and that we are digging deep and trying to know all that we can, and that we make this a daily process in our Christian growth. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning, and thank you for the treasure of your word God and as we go into it and we search the richness of it we know we can never exhaust it and there's probably more for us here and things that I didn't cover I just pray that what was covered today were the right things and that you will help us to just grow more in the knowledge of who you are we just thank you for your amazing grace towards us that was shown and expressed to us through the amazing gift of your son Jesus Christ and that he is the one who bore our sins to the cross, that he atoned for those sins once and for all. And to be your child means that we are truly forgiven. And I pray as we've um, kind of evaluated these things and looked at this question to determine whether or not that we really are in the light or whether we are still in the darkness, that these things were made more clear to us today by the study of your word and by the revelation of your Holy Spirit, God. Um, Just... uh, Reveal to us more of you and just help us in our Christian walk to be faithful and to always see ourselves as a work in progress, to look to you to sanctify us, to shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we would, like Paul would say, that we would just be urged on to grow in that maturity, to press onward toward the upward calling of Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in him that is secure, and that we know there is an eternity with you, Lord. And may we just uh, put all of our faith in you, God, just to help us to walk in a world that is you know, challenging us and it desires to overwhelm us. We know the enemy would not want nothing more than for us to fall back into maybe old ways and old habits. If we are in our infancy right now, help us just to desire to be nourished more, to seek the spiritual meat and to grow into a maturity and uh, to be those who would stand before you and that you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and that we would enter with you into paradise. And God, we just pray that you would go with us from here as we leave here today and just help us, Father, to be bold in our, in our proclamation of the gospel with those that are around us and As the holidays come up and we're going to be with family members and we know that there are those that may be in our family that are lost, that we would be uh, just just bold in, in our sharing of the gospel with them, Lord, and that we would be able to do so in grace and in love. And thank you for the magnitude, the grace that you have shown us. And may that be the degree by which we are willing to show it to others, Lord. And we love you and praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.